Cool. Well, hello there, Newtown Road. It is so good to see you again this weekend uh, in your living rooms gathered around the region with our church family. Last week, we got to celebrate the resurrection, the defining moment of our faith, the, the event upon which all of our Christian hope lies, and it was a very special Sunday. I just wanted to offer a quick word of thanks to all those of you who helped make it such a special Sunday, especially Matt Turgeon, Jonathan Preventure, and Joe Albano, who did the lion's share of work on the recording, the setup, the editing. Guys, it was a great blessing to our church family just to be able to gather in that way. And so I just wanted to say thank you uh, for that. I also wanted to keep you updated on a couple really cool things that have been happening around our ministry. Uh, many of you remember our 20 challenge that we launched into earlier this year, a long time before we ever got put into quarantine. And remember the challenge was that 20 minutes a day our church would give to prayer and Bible study. We would consider giving $20 extra each month above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings so that we could give $20,000 away and invest it in the community with organizations that needed our help. And then any surplus we were going to keep and hold on to for infrastructure and building upgrades here. And we also were challenging people to pray for and engage 20 people that we could uh, invite to come to our church and be part of it. Now, I've heard from you, from so many of you, about your Bible reading, that you've been able to be more consistent in Bible reading than you ever have before, that you're learning things through the scriptures that you've never even seen before, and I just love that. Just this last week, we started the second quarter of our daily New Testament Bible reading plan, and this would be a great time for you to jump in if you haven't yet. Uh, we just finished up Hebrews last week, and it was a great study. So I, I can't tell you guys enough that the primary component of a vibrant life and enduring faith in Jesus Christ, the primary marker is the regular and consistent ha habit and pattern of Bible reading and study. So that's the one way, that is at least one way, that you can continue to grow during our time in quarantine. I've also seen your involvement on Facebook and our other social media feeds, uh, just sharing our service links and inviting your friends and welcoming them. Guys, good work there. Thank you. Through our online platforms, we've been able to minister to more people than we ever even imagined we'd be able to. And I wanted to give you an update on our 20 fund. We've been able to start to release some of that money into the community and be a blessing to some of those organizations. So just a couple weeks ago, uh, we've we, to date, we've received almost $10,000 into that fund. So a couple weeks ago, we sent a $1,000 check along with food and medical items to the shelters of Saratoga. Amy Hughes, our outreach coordinator, was able to uh, deliver those gifts. She is an employee up there at shelters of Saratoga. Their, their development director cried when she saw the check. That gift and our continued support to that organization is going to help them feed 100 homeless and under-resourced people in Saratoga Springs. Guys, I am so proud of you. What a gift to be able to serve Jesus that way by providing for those in need. And also, we're staying closely connected with other organizations in our area to see what needs they might have. We'll continue to be collecting food and hygiene products in the large bin uh, in the front of our office. You can drop those off anytime you want. And as soon as the needs come and, and make themselves known, we will be able to donate them and get those uh, items to a good home. Our elders have also made the decision to set aside some of that 20 fund to minister to needs within the congregations should 
they arise. So we're just thanking God that he knew all of that in advance and that he was preparing us and that he has already given us uh, a, a chunk of money on the side that we can use uh, to meet those needs during this time. Now, if you are interested in contributing above and beyond your normal gifts to our 20 fund, you can just use the app or the website like normal and select 20 fund from the drop down menu or write 20 fund in the memo of your electronic or paper check. Guys, the bottom line, I am so proud of you and the way that you've been giving and growing and serving together through this quarantine. Your, your gifts, your faithfulness, your contributions are enabling us to continue to forge great partnerships in the area and to be a blessing to those in need during this time. So good work, let's keep it up. Now this morning, much to the chagrin of certain lead pastors, I have invited my good friend, our associate pastor of Youth and Families, Tyler McClure, into the office to share with you some important announcements. You need to move. Uh, thank you very much, Pastor Matt, and thank you, Church, for uh, for joining us this morning uh, over social media and our YouTube and Facebook platforms. We are excited that you've joined us. My name is Tyler. I am the Youth and Families Pastor at the Church at Newtown Road, and I want to say welcome to you. I've got a couple quick announcements for you, um, and the first is this. Normally, when you come into uh, our church, we would hand you a communication card. And unfortunately, because we uh, can't be together, we haven't been able to do that. But good news. We have put a virtual communication card together, and it is in the comment section of this thread and this post. And so what we want you to do, whether you are a first-time guest and visitor to our church, uh, and you happen to find this you know, just by accident or were invited by somebody, or you are a family that's been attending our church for a long time, we want you to click on that communication card and let us know that you're here. This is also a way to share your prayer requests with us and to connect with us in that way. So communication cards in the comments section below. Also in the comments section is going to be a link to our new Newtown Kids YouTube channel. And so especially families with kids. Uh, Heather Fitzsimmons is doing an amazing job of keeping you updated with stuff going on with the Gospel Project uh, and videos that can keep you uh, updated on things happening in and around our ministry. And so you want to subscribe to that YouTube channel, uh, Newtown Kids YouTube channel, which is a new and exciting way that we can connect with you and give you information about our ministry. And then our Newtown students, grades 6 to 12, we are meeting tonight on Zoom. That's a large gathering. We play games, we have fun and connect together, and then we split into small groups and connect on a, a more a deeper level uh, and talk about what God's Word means in our lives. Uh, and then the last thing is, I just want to commend you as a church for, uh, for the giving that you have uh, given over the last couple weeks. Uh, your tithes and offerings have been a blessing to our church and your faithful gifts um, uh, really have been inspiring and pretty amazing. And so continue to be faithful in giving gifts to the church uh, out of the joy in what we've been given. Uh, let's, let's continue to give those tithes and offerings. And you can do that through our online platform, the church's website, or you can do that by the church app. And so we encourage you to continue to do that. 
But uh, again, thank you for allowing uh, us to come into your home through this, uh, through this feed this morning, and we hope that you are encouraged through it. Now I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Matt. I'm a little bit nervous though. How was? There you go. You're good. You're good. Thank you. Tyler, thank you so much. Uh, Newtown Road, I have got to tell you, um, I don't know how it's possible, but I really believe our church is growing stronger through this quarantine and stronger in our sense of mission through this quarantine than I ever could have imagined. And I just, I'm thankful to God for that. When we started on this journey, we wondered how it would affect our church family, how it would affect the relationships we had, how it would affect the unity of our congregation. And it's possible, it was possible at least at the beginning, that this could have served to create discord and challenges for us. But I'd like to report to you that what the enemy intended for evil, God has clearly been using for good. So thank you, each one of you, for the way that you're partnering with us for the gospel in each other's lives and in our communities during this time. Well, after jumping into Luke last week to talk about the resurrection, this morning we're going to be back in our study of Mark's gospel. And and last time we were in Mark a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus come walking on the water meeting his disciples in their despair out on the Sea of Galilee. And today we're going to notice a bit of a shift in Mark's, uh, Mark's gospel and his storytelling. He's focusing attention a little bit less on the events and the miracles of Jesus, and now he's moving more to talk about the teaching of Jesus, specifically in his confrontation with the religious crowd. And this is where it gets really good. Now you may not know this, but the harshest, the most biting criticisms that Jesus ever delivered weren't directed toward the immoral and the worldly people he encountered. The harshest criticism came to the religious people who thought they were something very special because of all the good religious stuff that they were doing. And in fact, these are some of my favorite encounters with Jesus in all of the Bible, because in a few short sentences, he has the ability to turn our entire world completely on its head. So enough of me rambling. Let's jump to Mark chapter seven. Verse 1 through 13 is going to be our text today. And here's what Mark tells us in chapter 7, verse 1 through 13. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. 
Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for your word and its power in our lives. We thank you for the way that it confronts us in our worldview. Thank you for the way that it brings wisdom and a stirring rebuke from time to time. And we pray today that you would open our minds and our eyes and our hearts, that we would see, hear, and understand all that you have for us. Speak to us today once again by the power of your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning, with the passage we just read, we're going to identify a few observations from the passage and then hopefully make some application. The first thing we see is a serious infraction, or, or at least the, the religious people thought it was a serious infraction. Mark tells us in the first verse that the Pharisees and the scribes had come from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was some 90 miles away. And these guys didn't hop on an Uber to get there. They had a very specific purpose in making that long trek down. You see, this is an ongoing issue with Jesus and the religious crowd. They've already brought a charge against him, remember, for letting his disciples eat the heads of grain on the Sabbath, for healing somebody on the Sabbath, for the kinds of people that they were eating and drinking with. Remember, they were with the tax collectors and the sinners. They, the disciples, or the, the Pharisees and the scribes, we're not coming to celebrate the work of Jesus. They were hoping to trap him. And they came and observed the disciples. And what was the big offense that they saw? What is it that they were so upset about? It was that they ate without washing their hands. And you might wonder, well, what's the big deal about that? You know, I've got four children. We can't get them to wash their hands ever. No, like take a pandemic out of the equation. You can't get them to wash their hands ever. It doesn't sound like that should be a big deal. You see, the problem is, though, this isn't a hygienic issue. It's a religious issue. And Mark helps us. Mark's, Mark's initial audience was a Gentile readership, people who were not of the Jewish faith. So when he mentions things that would be intuitive and clear to Jewish folks, he translates them for those of us in the Gentile community who might be reading. And he does that in verses 3 and 4. He says um, that the Jews and the Pharisees and all the Jews didn't eat until their hands were washed properly, ceremonially. They needed to be cleansed before they enjoyed the meal. And not only that, he says there were many other traditions that they observed. Things like re uh, religious cleansing and ceremonial washing of cups and pots and vessels and something called a dining couch, which I think would be really fun if I had a couch in my dining room. Now, you might wonder where all of that stuff came from. That doesn't really sound like, like things that we need to be focused on in order to advance the calling of the gospel in the world, right? Where did this stuff come from? You might not be aware of it, but the fact is those requirements aren't actually in the Bible for all of the Jewish people. So where did the Pharisees get them? Now, this is an interesting and, unfortunately, continual problem within religious circles. You see, God has laid down rules and regulations for his purposes. Some of those purposes are to identify his people, to protect his people, to show them the realities of sin and, and um, the reality of judgment, to show them that the system of sacrifices was incomplete and needed a better priest and a better sacrifice. That's something we just read about in Hebrews last week. There was a reason for the sacrificial system. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
misunderstood the law, or at least misunderstood the purpose of the law. You see, they saw God's commands in the law as a way to get close to God and to make them holy. And they thought very highly about the things that God had commanded them to do or to not do. But in order to be sure they didn't get too close to sinning and breaking those rules, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law added extra rules to God's rules. And in our current passage, and maybe some of your religious circles you grew up in, those extra rules are known as traditions. And here is the problem. The Pharisees and the scribes had added to God's word. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong or unbiblical or immoral about these traditions. There's nothing that makes them wrong in and of themselves. So what's the problem then? The problem is that what were created as helpful guidelines over time came to be seen as on par or equal to God's commands. So that people were being required to treat the demands of tradition with the same gravity and priority as they were being asked to treat the word of God. And they had elevated the traditions of men to the same equal footing with the divine and sacred word of God. And the exact issue in this passage is interesting one, is an interesting one to me. God never requires of his people to wash their hands in a ceremonial way or their cookware or a dining couch or whatever that is. God did have very specific requirements for the priests because they were interacting with God on behalf of the people and offering sacrifices. And God was using that system to show people the need for a pure and a holy priest who didn't have to deal with his own sin and one who could offer a better sacrifice to finally eradicate sin. But God did not lay that commandment on the backs of every one of his followers to wash their hands and their their cookware ceremonially. The religious folks, though, added that commandment. And they gave that on, they laid that on the backs of all who followed. Now, Jesus and his disciples don't play according to those rules, and that's where they get in trouble. They weren't interested at all in keeping the traditions of men. It's important to note that Jesus never led his disciples, nor did he himself engage in uh, breaking the law of God. But it does seem like about every week he was doing something that the religious people got mad at. He ate with the wrong kind of people, like sinners and tax collectors. They picked a snack while they were walking through the field on a Sabbath day. He had the audacity to heal a man on the Sabbath day. And now his disciples, of all things, aren't washing their hands before they're eating. So what what this constituted to the Pharisees and the scribes was an infraction. And Jesus responds by helping them, or Mark responds by helping us see and helping them, uh, the initial readers, that they're missing the point entirely. You know, you know we're, we become pretty good at missing the point, too. A couple years ago, I, I uh, was in Pennsylvania visiting my family, and we decided to go to uh, Philadelphia and see a Phillies game with my dad for Father's Day. So we, we trucked the whole family down, the kids were there, and we were having a great time, and And you would have thought by the way that they were acting that they didn't know there was an actual baseball game being played. 
Like we had spent a ton of money, we were all excited to, to share this experience together and all they cared about was the food and the snow cone and when can we have ice cream and where are we gonna get the french fries from? And at one point I wanted to look at them and be like, you know that the point of being here isn't the food that we're eating, but the game we're watching. You're missing it all. In a lot of ways, the Pharisees were missing the point entirely. So they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples do it this way? Why don't they obey the traditions of the elders? And it wasn't just an observation. They were, they were throwing a cheap shot here. Why were they be, how could your disciples be so flippant? How could they be so careless, so irreverent? so ungodly and irreligious as to ignore the traditions of the great teachers who've come before them. If your disciples are supposed to be religious, moral people, then why do they ignore all the rules that would show people how religious and moral they are? You can see that, can't you? That once we move beyond what God has called us to into the traditions of men, what we're really doing is putting on a show of our own self-righteousness and our own morality. It's ways to signal our own efforts and our own holiness to the people around us. It's a problem that the Pharisees in particular and religious people in general have been plagued by ever since. And Jesus, in response to that, just goes after them with a harsh rebuke. He says, you guys have done it again. You've missed the point entirely. Isaiah was right about you. And then he quotes this passage from Isaiah. He said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He says, Isaiah was right about you. And they would have known who Isaiah was. They would have known this passage, but they never would have thought that it would have applied to them. This would have infuriated them. He says to them, essentially, your religion is shallow. It's not, it's not deep. It doesn't touch your heart. Your religion is one of lip service. You speak and talk a good game about how holy and righteous you are, but your heart is not yielded to me in submission and obedience. Your religion is vain. It's futile. It's worthless. Vain. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. You have elevated the commandments of men to the place of doctrine. You're missing the point. And then Jesus gives an example. We're going to call this in our notes Exhibit A. He says, you actually, guys, you reject the commandment of God in favor of your traditions. So not only are you elevating tradition and, and, and um, the commandments of God to the same place, you're actually rejecting, you're pushing aside the command of God in favor of your tradition. And you say, wait a minute, Matt, how, how are they doing that? Well, he actually gives a great example of this, starting in verse 9. He says, Moses said, Moses said, now that's another way of saying God said in the Bible, the scriptures say, Moses said, honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Moses said that reviling them will lead to death. So God had made a rule. Honor your father and mother. He issued a commandment. It is binding on all. That commandment was that children were to honor their parents. And that would mean, among other things, caring for them as they grew older and, and without the blessing of a social security system or an elaborate retirement plan, 
their children would honor their parents by caring for them in that season of life. That was standard. But you say in verse 11, you see how see the contrast? Verse 10, Moses said, but you say, he's distinguishing and drawing a contrast between what God said through the law and what the Pharisees are saying through their traditions. But you say, you say whatever a man has dedicated to the Lord or whatever, whatever would have been given to father or mother, but has been declared Corban, that man is able to keep that. Okay, so what is that about? There is, there is a practice of Corban uh, that the Pharisees were involved in. And what that was, was a, um, a zealous and faithful follower of God could declare all of his possessions and belongings dedicated to the Lord. And that's not a bad thing to say everything I own is God's and I will only use it for him and his purposes. That's actually a really good thing and a noble thing, an admirable thing. It is Corban. It is dedicated to the Lord. But what happens if you make that commitment as a younger man? And the situation of your life changes as you get older. And you find yourself now in a situation where your parents are aging and they need help. And you have resources available to you. But because you've dedicated them to the Lord, you will not give them to your parents. Or, as the case may be... You want to change your vow and give them to your parents. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders will not permit you. And that's exactly what's going on here. Jesus is not rebuking the young man who made a decision to give all, all that he owned to the Lord. What he's rebuking is the Pharisees who in response to real needs won't permit this man to honor the Lord and care for his parents and instead are, are withholding that blessing from them because of the vow he made to God. And so in the end what's happening is they are requiring obedience, obedience to their tradition and in, in keeping their tradition it actually forces the man to disobey God. Their attempts to honor their traditions are actually violating the clear, plain teaching of the Bible. The religious leaders are telling people who are trying to honor God to disobey God in favor of their traditions. And Jesus says, many such things you do. He says, this isn't even the only case. You do this stuff all day long. You make a convert, and at one point Jesus says, you make them twice the sons of hell as you are. You're not doing anything to lift their burden and to help them obey God. You're actually just heaping burdens on their back. Many such things you do. This group, the Pharisees and the scribes, were guilty before God of abusing their influence and their position and actually leading God's people away from obedience in favor of obedience to them. There's a strong warning in that for all of us who enjoy positions of spiritual leadership and influence. May God help us to have our hearts fixed on the truth of the word so that what we require of and encourage of our people is actually in line with God's will for them as revealed in the pages of the scriptures. Okay, so what? 
What, is, what does all that mean to us? I am so glad you asked that question. As we look at our passage today, we need to keep in mind what is clearest and most plain, most important that God is revealing to us. And I think the answer to that question is loaded with application for us. Obviously, the most clear and, and applicable thing we see is that the scriptures, the revealed word of God, what God has said in the Bible is more important and holds priority over all the traditions of men. The Bible is greater than our tradition. Now, I want to I offer a bit of balance here as well, because I'm not saying that traditions are harmful. I'm not saying that traditions are unbiblical. The truth is they can be very helpful to us in our discipleship. On a personal basis, on an individual level, they can be life-giving in our growth in the Lord. But the clear and plain teaching of the Bible must always be the priority. You see, in that way, our traditions are good and helpful as long as they are in submission to the Word of God. And the, the clear teaching of the passage today is that what God has spoken in His Word is more important and more binding than any of the traditions of men. Or what God has spoken clearly in His Word is more important and more binding than religion. It's more important and more binding than the human structures that we've created. What God has spoken always wins. The priority of the Bible is in clear view. And the second thing that I think we can see today is there is an encouragement for followers of Jesus, like you and me, to be discerning. Because many of us know from personal experience, it is all too easy for us to slide into, to be lulled and drawn into that kind of cultural Christianity, we'll call it. And I don't think we start out this way. I think what happens is we come to realize the emptiness of our lives without Jesus. The bondage that we feel to our, our desires and our sins. And we know the crippling weight and the power that sin and rebellion has held on us. And we turn to Jesus and we find freedom and we find forgiveness. We find hope and new life and new meaning. And with that, we want to pursue God with everything we have. And with our newfound passion and zeal, sometimes we're a little susceptible as we struggle to see the difference between what God has said and, the, and identify that against the culture that our new church communities have created. You see, I, I really don't want to throw insults at anyone today. That's not my intention, but I would like to point out that many of us who grew up in church settings have seen some of this. Those of us who have what we would call in our circles fundamentalist backgrounds, or even some of us who have grown up in some of the mainline denominations, we have seen where culture in the church community was built up around the teachings of the Bible. And before too long, it, we got the impression that if we failed some of the house rules of the community, that was the same as failing God and disobeying His Word. That's a very dangerous place to be. Now, I'm, I'm hesitant to offer too many examples here because, as I said, I'm not interested in throwing stones and, and my faith was forged on the anvil of fundamentalism. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but, but let's think about this reasonably. There are places that we have experienced through the years where the culture that was built up around the Word of God was almost oppressive. Where the yoke that Jesus offers us is easy and his burden is supposed to be light. 
I've, I've heard through the years of, of certain religious communities that had very strict dress codes. Back in the day, that uh, I, I heard and have been part of religious communities where it was frowned upon for women to wear pants. I've, I've been part of religious communities that had in their history um, restrictions on facial hair for men. In some way that they thought uh, beards and mustaches were, were somehow not a godly or acceptable thing. I've, I've been part of places that in their history had, ban, had a ban on playing cards. Or at least face cards because it looked too much like gambling. Or, or places where it was frowned upon or even considered a sin to own a television or visit a movie theater. I, I've been part of religious communities where it felt like the culture required allegiance to a certain political party or allegiance to a certain translation of the Bible. None of those things are inherently wrong if those are your personal convictions. If God prompts the heart of a believer, they can be helpful and beneficial in your spiritual growth. But because none of those things is actually in the Bible... They cannot be presented as authoritative or binding on other believers. In that case, we need to submit to the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance in our own hearts. You see, this type of cultural Christianity is actually a false sense of spirituality. It gives us a false sense of maturity and growth in the Lord. Because we look to our traditions, the cultural commandments, as a means of our boasting. And in case you've never noticed it, the things that we just hit, the things we highlighted, are all things that are external things. They're all things that I can manage on my own with my own two hands. The truth be told, it is far easier to submit to cultural Christianity than it is to find joy in submitting to the truth and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is far easier to avoid a movie theater and playing cards than it is to nurture a genuine Christ-like love for our enemies. It is far easier to read the right version of the Bible than it is to grow in patience through difficult trials. It is far easier to refuse a glass of wine than it is to overcome spiritual pride and self-righteousness by the power of the gospel in our lives. And by focusing on cultural obedience, by focusing on traditions of men, we focus on things that we can manage and create. And we're not focusing then on the fruit that God has promised and only He can provide through the Holy Spirit for those who are growing in Him. Now once again, I'd like to say as clearly as I can, I'm not suggesting that any of those traditions is inherently wrong or harmful. And if God is leading you to them, then pursue them with all the passion you have. But what I am saying is that if it's not rooted in the Bible, we have no right to require it of godly people. And that's where the Pharisees were getting tripped up. That's where they were making their major mistake. They were requiring of people something that was not required by God. And the third most obvious, most practical application for us to the, today is this. And it's a little, it, it's all too, too clear. Read your Bible. How will you be able to spot the difference between what is cultural and what is biblical if you don't know what the Bible says? 
We've, we've said this before. Because of technology, we have access to more versions of the Bible than any generation in history. We have, we have close access to more biblical literature than any generation in the history of mankind. And yet, the church in America is more biblically anemic than any generation that's ever been. How will the church of Jesus know what is truly commanded by God and what is the cultural traditions of men? Know your Bible. Read your Bible. Understand your Bible. Meditate on it. Study it. Sing it. Pray it. Hide it in your heart so you might not sin against God. Let's be a people of the book and so distinguish what is the command or the will of God for our lives versus what is the culture and traditions of our world, our church family, our community. The major, the major offense that the Pharisees committed was that they had elevated the traditions of men to the equal playing field with the word of God. The clear, the clear correction there for the church of Jesus today, for you and I to keep in mind, is that the Bible and its clear teaching will, will, must always maintain a place of priority over the culture and the traditions of men. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and its power. We thank you that, that you have not laid down upon us a culture of, of easily attainable um, man-made traditions, but instead you have called us to radical submission to the empowering spirit of Jesus. You have called us, God, instead to something more beautiful. You've called us to your lordship, You've called us to your complete sovereign control over our lives. You've called us to deny ourselves, to lay down our cross and to follow you. And in following you, God, you provide the fruit. Lord, I pray for our church family this morning that we would not be easily duped by what looks like religious obedience. Help us to know the difference between what is biblical and what is cultural. Help us, God, to lean into the convictions you've given us personally and give us a sense of maturity that we don't require those of other people. But instead, God, let us encourage each other to be radically obedient to the Bible. Let us encourage each other to pursue you at all costs. Let us encourage each other to lay down our preferences for the sake of unity in the gospel matters. And Lord, in so doing, I pray that you would reward and bless our church richly. That we would see our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones have their eyes awakened and opened. That walking with Christ is so much more beautiful and more powerful than being part of a religious community. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see the evidence and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we give ourselves fully and daily to honoring you and walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you once again, Newtown Road and all who are watching from afar for joining us this morning. It is a privilege and an honor to teach the Bible to you week to week. Make sure you jump back on here next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We have a very special service planned for you. I'm not going to give any of the details away, but you're, you're not going to want to miss it, I promise. So we'll see you next Sunday, 10 a.m. right here. Stay up to speed on our Facebook accounts and our social media feeds so you can stay connected to what's happening here. If you have a need, please let us know. 
Uh, the office remains open from 9 a.m. to noon every day. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and as we are unable to gather together physically, we are thankful that we are united in the Spirit around the region and around the world uh, together under Christ's leadership. So thank you for joining us today. Can't wait till we can meet together again. I miss you guys like crazy. Uh, but until next time, I love you guys, Newtown Road. Hey, Newtown Road, it is so good. <laughs> the Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. Pass it back. Pass it back. <laughs> Let us know that you're connecting with our church. Oh, that, that was bad. Alright, can we open that door and run across? <laughs> Let us <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't. Hopefully that'll be cut out. That's awful. That's no good. No bueno.